When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast from America Media for saints and sinners. You can join us each week for honest conversations about the Catholic Church in our world today, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Happy birthday, Ashley. I didn't think you'd say it. I know. I <laughs> Aren't you sick st- of it? I made a big stink about <laughs> that I'm sick of celebrating you. You're just really drawing this thing out. Into a, I, it's no. been three days. <laughs> it's three days. Um, no, but happy birthday. Thank uh, you. C- congratulations on reaching your Jesus year. Yes, I am 33. Yep. Big, pretty eventful year for Jesus. Yes, so, and hopefully um, for us too. Stay tuned. Yes. <laughs> uh, we got a great show to celebrate you this week. Uh, who are we talking to? Yeah, we're talking to Father Chris Hadley. Chris is a Jesuit priest and a professor at the Jesuit School of Theology of Santa Clara University. And we're talking to him about the Holy Spirit. Yep. I feel like I haven't really done like a theology deep dive or even maybe shallow dive uh, into the Holy Spirit since my like eighth grade confirmation retreat. Um, That was the last time I got into this. I feel like the Holy Spirit is this um, thing we throw around a lot, but haven't done a lot of theologizing about, at least on this podcast. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit is having a moment. Uh, Pope Francis has talked a lot about how this upcoming meeting at the Vatican, the Synod on Synodality, um, is all about listening to the Holy Spirit and having conversations with each other in the Spirit. So we asked Chris, what exactly that means. Are you allowed to say the Holy Spirit's having a moment? It feels kind of insulting to the other moments or to the Holy Spirit, but um, we'll allow it for now because it is a big deal uh, for the Synod. Uh, And we're recording this uh, earlier in the day, so we decided to not pour a drink because it's like we still have like four or five hours of work left that we have to do after this. But uh, we had a great drink recommended by Chris, which was an old fashioned, which I always enjoy. So I know, sad. If you are in the in a space where you can drink, maybe pour yourself one, uh, make yourself one in solidarity with Father Chris. But the reason we're recording this earlier is because we are super busy with uh, an announcement that we would like to make as part of our next segment. Yes. Now we have Signs of the Times, the part of the show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. And we're being a little self-centered in what we're considering Catholic news this week. Yes, we have one story this week, which is that we are going to Rome to cover the Synod on Synodality. Yeah, Zach and I and our producer, Sebastian Gomes, are heading out on October 2nd, and Zach and I are spending the entire month in Rome bringing the Synod to you. Yeah, so a little bit of a backstory, right? So this is the third year of the Synod, and still feels a little amorphous as to what it is. But Ashley and I have been getting clear, but we're going to go to Rome to figure out exactly what's going on. Because our colleague in America, Jerry O'Connell, says this is shaping up to be the biggest church event since Vatican II, which is, he's been covering the Catholic Church since like 1985. So um, when Jerry says something like that, I I tend to listen to him. Yeah. And so just to explain a little bit about how we got here, uh, you said we're we're going into the third year of the Synod. So the Synod kicked off with a very grass 
grassroots listening session. So all over the world, um, people got together at the parish level uh, to just ha- have open conversations about the state of the church, what their what their hopes are, what their concerns are. Um, and then those kind of worked their way up to the diocesan level and then the national level and then the continental level. Um, and now we've gotten to the point where we're at the first of two meetings at the universal church level next month in October and then next October in 2024. Um, over 300 delegates from around the world um, are going to to take those concerns that were raised at the grassroots level and bring them directly to the Vatican and have honest conversations about the future of the church. Yeah, and some of the topics that are are brought up for discussion are, are going to be fascinating to see. And you know, we're the delegates are going to be in small groups having these small group discussions. So we're not going to be privy to what's said in in some of these small groups. It seems like Pope Francis really wants this to kind of be more of a reflective retreat type setting. Um, But we are going to hear reports um, in press briefings. We're going to hopefully be able to talk to people generally about what's being talked about. So things like um, women in the church, inclusion, what does it mean to be church in general? Like what is our mission as a church? What does it mean to have uh, people participate in the church's mission? Like these are some really interesting topics. And it's really all about trying to make the church more consultative and that we are all walking together in claiming our baptism. That's right. And in terms of what you can expect from Jesuitical, like we said, we're going to be on the ground and we're going to try to make what this this huge kind of amorphous event uh, really accessible to ourselves and hopefully sure. to you um, by by having kind of larger conversations about the themes at the Synod. Um, if you want to get like the day-to-day news coverage of what's happening at the Vatican, you can, of course, hop over to Inside the Vatican. Uh, Jerry O'Connell will, of course, be in Rome. And then Colleen Dully, our friend and colleague, will be coming to Rome for, for two weeks in the middle of October. Yeah. And so this this episode is actually a really good example, right? So we're talking about, you know, what is the Holy Spirit? How is that going to be present at the Synod? Um, we're hoping to talk to experts, uh, participants to the extent that we're able. And you, you've actually heard from some of the delegates on this podcast already. So we've featured you know, people like Father James Martin, who we had on a couple weeks ago, Cardinal Robert McElroy, Bishop Robert Barron. Um, they're, they're delegates at the Synod. Um, so we're maybe going to hopefully catch up with them a little bit, um, talk to some new people, talk to people from all over the world to really show the Catholicity of our church in this event. Because I, I think it's what well, we've heard from people that Oftentimes when they listen to the show, you know, this is maybe their only source of Catholic news. Um, and so given that this event seems to be so important or it's shaping up to be so important, um, we wanted to make this investment in order to bring the news of what's happening to you. Yeah. And we're going to be doing that twice a week while we're in Rome um, instead of the usual one episode per week. And some of those will be for um, Patreon subscribers. So if you want all of our coverage, please just go over to Patreon right now so you can just get that in your feed. That's right. Um, and we're also going to be contributing some stuff uh, for America's website. So we've got this synod diary that we're the team on the ground in Rome is going to be contributing to. These are just going to be like short email daily updates and reflections uh, from Rome, similar to the scripture reflections that America sends out uh, to its subscribers every day. So there's a lot going on, a lot to pay attention to. But our first episode from Rome is going to be that conversation that we mentioned last week with Jerry O'Connell, who once again, it really is high on you know the influence of what the synod is going to be. So we would love to take your questions about your hopes for the synod, your fears about the synod, um, questions about it, what's going on. So please write in and give us those those questions. You can you can write to us uh, on email, uh, jesuitical at americamedia.org. You can uh, DM us on Twitter, on Patreon, um, even on Instagram, and more about that later. Um, 
But please, please, please send us your questions because we would love to bring them to Jerry. And finally, uh, we're leaving on Monday. So we would really appreciate your prayers uh, for safe travel and uh, a successful time covering the Synod. And of course, when we're in Rome, we will pray for you as well. And now stick around for our conversation with Father Chris Hadley. Joining us from Berkeley, California, is Father Chris Hadley. Chris is a Jesuit priest, an associate professor of systematic theology, and the director of the Master of Divinity program at the Jesuit School of Theology of Santa Clara University. Welcome to Jesuitical, Chris. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. And this is going to be really good for me because I don't know that I've really gotten schooled in the Holy Spirit since my eighth grade confirmation preparation. So uh, if, if you're like that audience, you are in for a treat because we're talking to someone who knows their stuff, knows their Holy Spirit pretty well. Yeah. And we want to start with some some 101 Trinity stuff because like Zach, I you know learned about it way back then. And I feel like everyone tries to come up with like the perfect image of the Trinity. So like the, four, the clover or other things. Neapolitan that... ice cream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm wondering, what, what's your favorite yeah. simplified explanation of the Trinity? And then maybe what's your deeper uh, way to explain it? Yeah, well, gosh, I'm tempted to begin with the Neapolitan ice cream analogy, which is kind of a negative one, because I would say that in people's sort of, you know, experience of, of prayer or theology talk in church and the language of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is the is the flavor that gets eaten last. Strawberry is left over. Yeah, the the chocolate and the vanilla are usually gone, and then there's the yeah. there's the I strawberry. I also like to it, think of the Holy Spirit as like the forgotten middle sibling of the Trinity. Yes, uh, Saint Augustine calls the the Holy Spirit the the unknown God. But on one obvious level. The language of father and son is very personal and it's very relational. We can have personal images of God with with that language or, you know, Jesus, the human being uh, and Jesus calling, you know, the one that he calls father, the father uh, and talking about this relationship. But then also saying, um, but my father will send this spirit when I am, you know, when I am taken up from you, um, I will not leave you orphans and the spirit will come to you. So the spirit, you know, that's a word that means breath or wind in, in Latin and in Hebrew and Greek too. So it's not a very personal image of God. So I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of Catholics anyway have a hard time identifying with the spirit. And you mentioned like the etymology of the word is goes back to breath. Has it always been kind of understood as this like life force within you or like the, the thing that animates you? Well, yes and no. I think, you know, in the Bible, you'll, you'll often read things like in the book of Samuel, and the Holy Spirit rushed upon David, um, you know, when he uh, was getting ready to fight Goliath or, you know, um, or the, the Holy Spirit uh, rushed upon the prophet Samuel and he started prophesying. Um, so this, this idea of, you know, this uh, ruach in Hebrew, which could mean breath and it could mean wind. And that's what comes upon the prophet or the hero or the Messiah, like David, who's anointed to be the king of Israel. And I think 
fast forward of several centuries, the the spirit can can it kind of came also to mean something very immaterial,、uh, you know, like we say in English, spiritual, which means not physical. And in German, the you know they call the spirit the Heilige Geiste, so like ghost, which. Has this sense of immateriality for it, but it could Geist could also mean mind, so it's got both connotations of something that's very physical, very forceful, but also something that's very intimate and even immaterial and so interior to your mind and heart that it's hard to it's hard to grasp. Yeah, you gave some Old Testament images. I'm wondering when we get to the New Testament, how how we hear about the Holy Spirit and how that if it's different or changed. We're not even talking about Trinity yet,、um, which is fine because that's how all of this evolved. But I would say in the Gospels we see in Matthew and、um, Mark and Luke, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove, different image. But in Luke, the Holy Spirit comes to Mary. When Gabriel announces that Jesus will be born, and and then we, you know, as we say in the Nicene Creed,、uh, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. So in both cases, it's the Spirit who actually reveals the Trinity to the world, and in both cases, it has something to do with Jesus, either his birth or his baptism. And then it says in the three, the, the three Gospels—Matthew, Mark, and Luke—that the Spirit is the one who drives Jesus out into the desert, you know, to meditate and fast for forty days, and then the Spirit moves Jesus back to Nazareth to pre- and preaches in his hometown synagogue in Luke's Gospel, and Jesus reads the scroll from Isaiah and says, "The Spirit has anointed me to proclaim the good news." Of the gospel, spirit is very versatile, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then at the end of John's gospel, Jesus says, "I will not leave you orphans. Uh, uh, the spirit、um, of me and my Father will come to dwell within you." So those are just the four gospels, where we see now that the spirit has very much to do with the relationship between Jesus and the Father, right? But it also has to do With welcoming us into that same relationship, wanted to also ask about how the Spirit keeps us in relation with one another in in the Christian community. So, like maybe like a good example going to maybe Acts of the Apostles is this the Council of Jerusalem.、Uh, you know, maybe it's the first big church meeting. We've got a bigger ch- big church meeting coming up this October. So, you know, what is the role of the Spirit there, where there's some disagreement among the early church? Yeah. So in that in that account in the Acts of the Apostles, Paul is saying to Peter, "I've, you know, we've got these Gentiles, these non-Jews, who believe in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit descended upon them and gave them gifts of prophecy,、uh, um, changed their lives, gifts of prayer,、um, and they believe in Christ now." And they want to follow us, but it has nothing to do with them being circumcised like other Jews or following the whole Mosaic law. It seems like God is giving the Spirit to them regardless of all of that. 
So we should not force them to do anything that the spirit doesn't seem to care that they're not doing uh, in terms of Judaism. So Peter and, and James and the other apostles see evidence of this. They see the evidence of the Holy Spirit coming to them. And they're like, well, who are we to stop them from being baptized? Who are we to exclude them when it seems that God is is including them? But but not everybody was uh, on board with that interpretation, if I recall. Not before they saw the evidence of it. They all do, they get together and they say, we can't deny this. We've all seen this. So they were, they were unanimous after they all saw it. So they did make a decision and they made a decision together and it had everything to do with how they discerned the evidence of the spirit acting among them. And that's like a pretty huge decision that changed the course of the church. It's hard to imagine it having a billion members today if, if they had gone the other way. And so you mentioned that they, through looking at the evidence, like got to, um, they were unanimous in the decision. Is that what you would say is one of the signs that the Holy Spirit is working of this like convergence where there once was disagreement? Yeah, it's, it's, um, that's a great question. And uh, yeah, and the unanimity uh, I hope I said that right. You know what I mean. <laughs> That's why I went with uh, unanimous to be safe. I knew I'd mess it yes, up. Yes, <laughs> yes. The, the unanimousness, the, <laughs> the unanimousness of, of, their, of their conviction and their peace and their conscience and their, their confidence in that together. That's one sign. And to jump 1,500 years into the future, to the founding of the Society of Jesus. There were 10 guys who had made the spiritual exercises and were deciding, should we unite ourselves with each other formally or should we all go our way? And so they weighed all of the pros and cons of binding together as a, a community and they each heard each other out. Uh, and then they went and prayed over the pros and cons. And when they came back together, they were all unanimous about the pros of it. And they said, this is where I experienced the most hope. But it, it, was a, it involved talking, listening, entertaining different options, and most importantly, praying, and then coming back and saying what the fruit of the prayer is. That's often the only way we really have to try to discern or, or make the judgment that God is doing something among us. You know, it's not rocket science, but it's something that produces confidence and, and joy, hopefully, and an interior sense of freedom. And it's like, okay, I, this, this is right. This is what we're going to do. Okay, that last part makes more sense because as we were talking about, you know, this reaching consensus and coming to peace with, with our decision, like I was thinking of your earlier example of Samuel and like other prophets in the Old Testament where they're animated by maybe, I don't know if we would still call that the Holy Spirit, but spirit. And that's not about like they're often clashing with, with others, not me. Yeah, you're usually like a rabble rouser. Yeah. Like even even like today, the people we think of are like prophets or like the people that are inspired by the Holy Spirit or speaking truth to power. Yeah. It's usually, yeah, not consensus building. But you mentioned like confidence and freedom, which I do associate with prophets more. Yeah, I'm really glad that you're bringing this up. 
the prophets were not just saying something new and just ob objecting to what was going on for the sake of being objectionable. They were always trying to call the people back to fidelity to Torah, to God's gift of this way of life to them. Usually, it almost always had something to do with the poor and with um, immigrants and aliens among them and mistreatment of them, mistreatment of women and children, uh, infidelity to prayer in the temple and the creation of idols and the making money off of the creation of idols and exclusions in society. And the prophets would speak against all of this. And they would sometimes, there wouldn't be a consensus. Uh, there would be a rejection of the prophet. However, eventually, contrition will set in. This inner kind of conversion of, wow, I was wrong. Um, and a real conviction of sin. That's also considered a gift of the Holy Spirit. And so that's another, so it's difficult. Like, you know, there's this consensus, but sometimes there's this prophetic opposition. It's hard, it's, it's risky. One of the things that I take for granted is that this, the dogma of the Trinity is not like formally established for a couple hundred years, right? I mean, yes. this is so, yes. so Nicaea. So does that mean yeah. that people didn't believe in the Trinity, quote unquote, or didn't have a fully articulated understanding of the Holy Spirit for the first few hundred years of Christianity? Or was it sort of there and just formalized then? So the first time the Holy Spirit is called God, is in the fourth century and it was actually in a commentary on the decision of one of the early councils and that's where we get what we call the nicene creed on sunday the nicaea was all about the father and the son and constantinople was all about the holy spirit and so they you know they say we believe in the holy spirit the lord and the giver of life well right there they're saying if there's only one lord and there's only one giver of life and that's god so they're saying in so many words that the Spirit is God. And St. Gregory of Nazianzus, who the Byzantine tradition calls Gregory the Theologian, he's that important, said, is the Holy Spirit God? Of course the Holy Spirit is God. But then he immediately says, and don't worry, we have never called the Holy Spirit G-O-D before in the past because God does not overwhelm us with a whole bunch of doctrine and dogma up front. God wants to lead us and teach us uh, gradually. So through in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, the important thing is to follow God, like God and belong to God. In the New Testament, the important thing is to believe in the one whom God has sent, who is the Son of God, Son of the Father. Now what God is trying to show us is that God is present among us as spirit. So God is just being gentle and patient with us. And they call that the doctrine of, of progressive revelation. And that's Gregory of Nazianzus from the 4th century. 
Yeah, we've been very high level uh, Trinity theology so far. So I'm wondering if we could bring it down to to how people um, are experiencing God in, in the Holy Spirit. And we've you mentioned a couple of signs like this idea of conviction or conversion. But what are some other ways people experience the Holy Spirit in their daily lives? Maybe it does take regular prayer, but also it requires you know reading scripture. Um, and having some kind of communal prayer life so that you're used to the, the church's language about the Holy Spirit. And when it's, I think when it, when your head and your heart feel like they're together, uh, and again, you're feeling a certain amount of peace or clarity, uh, I think you can trust that that's the Holy Spirit, you know? And um, the Holy Spirit is not going to lead you astray, uh, the Holy Spirit is either going to give you um, peace when you're feeling troubled or trouble when you're, maybe you're feeling the wrong kind of peace <laughs> or like a, a shallow peace. The Holy Spirit, you know, the, the African-American spiritual will say the Spirit's going to trouble the waters. One of the things I struggle with is like this idea that or I have this idea that the Holy Spirit is something that, you know, comes to me sometimes and I've just got to like catch the wind right and then it recedes and it goes away again. And I and, and then that's like sad because and I, I don't know if that's like what I need to do, if that's a common feeling people have or what I need to do to get around that. Or it's like, oh, no, it's around me all the time. And I just have to remember that sometimes when you can't feel it, you have to trust but I would say just because you're not feeling it, it would be dangerous to say that the Holy Spirit is not present. Uh, you know, think of, well, think of Jesus's agony in the Garden of Gethsemane when um, saying, you know, God, if, Father, if it's at all possible, is there any other way we can do this? Was the Holy Spirit ad absent from him? No. This Holy Spirit might be doing what Paul says in chapter 8 of Romans, groaning wordlessly inside of us. So sometimes we need to pay attention to how it is that we're groaning inside of us, because that could be what God is doing. One thing that I thought of when Zach said that is how we're often like much harder on ourselves than we are on other people. So I don't think Zach would go up to me and be like, the Holy Spirit is not with you. <laughs> and yet yes. he can think it yeah. about himself. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but I'm wondering what this idea of knowing that the Holy Spirit is in us and in others can do how or how it should shape how we interact with our fellow Christians yeah. and everyone. Well, like you're, it sounds like you're talking about compassion, um, you know, and care for the other person. And this is more Pauline. If you look at the letter to the Corinthians, um, the first letter in chapters, you know, chapter 12, the, 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 the reading that they always read at weddings, compassion, patience, love, generosity, uh, peacemaking, energy, to give to others, those, those are all gifts of the Holy Spirit because they all have to do with love. Um, so that's one word that we, you know, we've been talking for now 30 minutes. <laughs> and we, I'm just realizing, and we, I know we probably have to, we have a limited amount of time, but one of the words that we haven't, that I haven't used and that we haven't used is love. If there's no love, that's maybe the biggest criteria of all. No love, then, I think then you can say that that's probably not the spirit. <laughs> but if there is love, then there is the spirit there. And, and even some of my like own insecurities are often around like th that the amount to which I trust that the Holy Spirit is present is, is probably related to the amount that I feel like God loves me or I remember or I, I'm confident that God loves me. 
correct? Like those two things seem almost intertwined. I'm wondering like um, what you think about the way we talk about the Holy Spirit just sort of like in the in the church sometimes in Catholic circles about like, um, I don't know, like when a pope is elected, people are like, oh, the Holy Spirit elected Pope Francis. And I'm always kind of like, well, did they also elect all those bad popes and things like that? It just feels like a, a bit of a talking point sometimes. <laughs> but like, what does it mean to actually trust that the Holy Spirit is like, you know, guiding world events or church events? Sure, sure. Yeah. Before I say yes or no. <laughs> I was um, like, I'm going to limit you to a one word yeah, answer. Yes yeah, or no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, one kind of... Um, a, a really narrow pneumatology or a really narrow theology of the Holy Spirit that the, particularly the Western Roman Catholic Church has been burdened with for the last several hundred years is that the Holy Spirit is somebody who we kind of pull out of the closet and dust off whenever we need to elect a new pope. Yes. You know, <laughs> yeah. like that's when the Holy Spirit shows up, you know. Mm-hmm. Or I need to pass the a Holy test Spi- or... The know, ho- other- well, I mean... And the Holy Spirit is active and working. Uh, hopefully we're obedient and doing what the Holy Spirit wants. But that's not the only thing that the Holy Spirit does. You know, it, its job is not to elect popes. <laughs> it's to configure everyone as members of the body of Christ and to make available that the, lo- the love that the Father has for the Son and the love that the Son has for the Father, that we can have that same love for God receive that same love from God and have love for each other and be the church. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Um, now, electing leadership is part of all of that. So yes, we hope that when a Pope is chosen, that, that the electors have really discerned the presence of the Holy Spirit. Have they always done that? Probably not, I would say. I mean, we're not <laughs> perfect, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what kind of leads to my one fear I have about when people invoke the Holy Spirit, um, because, you know, in every election, people on both sides probably say, yep, the Holy Spirit is telling me this. And the other side is saying the Holy Spirit's telling me this. And so like this idea that you can like weaponize the Holy Spirit, be like, yeah, no, the Holy Spirit's on my side. So we're just going to shut down this discussion because for you to disagree with me is for you to disagree with God. It's like, oh, yeah, that group's not open to the Spirit. Yeah. That could be a very dangerously easy phrase to trot out. And, and again, as you say, weaponized. But I think what people will often mean is, you know, po- like to put the best possible interpretation on that, which is something, you know, St. Ignatius teaches us to do is, you know, hopefully they're saying something like, I don't understand the tradition that we have inherited as a gift to be allowing that you know, whatever it is, whatever this new thing that's being proposed, or like, how could Jesus have meant that in, you know, in the Gospels? And those are both good questions. Um, And it it might be like on the conservative side, and it might be a certain dogmatism or a fear of losing control um, around issues that, that we're nervous about. And on the more progressive side, it could be it could be an, an ideology. It has to be something that's in continuity with the tradition, but it also can't be a stranglehold on the tradition that's controlled by only a few people. How do you feel that like Pope Francis's 
enhanced our understanding of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. I mean, do you see like the way that the Synod on Synodality is developed? I feel like I've heard more about the Holy Spirit in the lead up to this than I have in previous, I don't know, synods or Vatican meetings or anything like that. I think Bishop Flores, he was kind of in charge of the American process that we've been going through. And last year when the when he sort of put out the summary documents um, on what people heard each other saying in the synod meetings in the United States, it was, I thought it was like no other church document I'd ever read because he was just saying, this is what is hurting people. And this is what their fears or concerns are. But this is also where their their hopes are and what their deepest desires are. You know, there's confusion and hurt over uh, LGBTQ members of our families and what to do. There's hurt and confusion over um, uh, the role of women. There's hurt and confusion about immigration uh, and social justice. However, there's also a desire to be in communion, to stay at church, to not leave each other. I just think that's incredible because it's the it's people being allowed to say what they really believe the truth is and having patience to let that sit there for a while and then come back to it and see what happens. The, the church has always had synods. Um, the Eastern churches, the Orthodox and Catholic have synods. It's Those are very different from what Pope Francis is doing now with involving you know, levels of involvement with lay people and people who are not bishops and women, men, young people, different groups from all over the world. Um, So he is expanding the idea of synodality in a way that has never been done before. And that's, that itself is really new. And it seems like there are a lot of people who really do want to listen. You seem a little bit more hopeful uh, than me and in your uh, belief that people actually want to listen to each other, because something I've observed is like everyone or a lot of people are open or, you know, think openness is a great thing in theory. But what they really mean is like other people being open to my ideas. Um, So if you were going to advise someone going into a participant going into this meeting, like how would you spiritually prepare someone to be actually open to other people and to the spirit? Yeah. Yeah. I would say be ready for there to not be any big changes soon. Who knows? It could go another way. But, you know, in, in, this, the, in the Amazonian Synod, the, the, the beloved Amazonia, the document that came out of that, um, about there was nothing about married priests and women deacons in that document. Which is what but all the headlines every, around the Synod was about. All of the headlines were, and, the, and, and it became known that the vast majority of the bishops involved in the synod, Amazon Synod were in favor of both of those things. And so the big question is, is why was there nothing in the document about this? Why does, you know, it seems like there's, it would, it would be so helpful and it just seems like so many people want it. Pope Francis was asked about this and he said, well, the reason why I didn't come down on one side on it, even on the majority side, is because I didn't feel like it had been discerned properly. The people who were for, if I had sided with the people who were for it, I would just be siding with a simple majority. And the people who disagreed with it would not have accepted it. So the unanimity wouldn't have been there. 
He says that I refuse to come down hard on one side on something like this at this time. Pope Francis's commitment to this is radical. So you mentioned, you know, Ashley had asked, you know, what would you advise someone who's going to be open to the spirit? So maybe like being free from expectation is 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 a way to be open. Are there are there other things? Free from expectation, but not free, but not free of hope. Um, hmm. I, I guess I would say to pray and hope really hard that people will be open and honest with each other uh, and that people will get a chance to speak because um, the Holy Spirit will be speaking through the speaking, but the Holy Spirit will also be speaking through the listening and the Holy Spirit will be opposed in both of those ways too, <laughs> you know, and that's going to happen. I would say the other thing for people to think is not to demonize the people who we think are opposing the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Uh, because they might be acting in good faith. So it does take radical faith that God wants there to be one church. Hmm. You know, that God does not want the church to break up. Yeah. And that takes a lot of courage. It's it a takes lot a of, lot of courage. It's a lot of it opinions a lot of, and feelings in a big family yes, like that. Yes, there are a lot of appealing, opinions and feelings in a big family. And there are a lot of two-way streets. Mm-hmm. And a lot of multi-street intersections, <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of roads that seem to be go that seem very far apart from each other. You know, speaking me- metaphorically, I guess. <laughs> so that's all of which are not synods, right? Because <laughs> synod means to be together on the way, right? So it's to, to try to find the one road. As a New Yorker who doesn't drive a lot, I sometimes get lost in the traffic metaphors, but I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm following. The subway following. map could That's also true. work as an yeah. analogy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, it's a subway map, but like every New Yorker will has a way of getting from point A to very point true. B, it's and they are very generous. They're very generous about telling you. Yeah, because it's better than your way, probably. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. Chris, thank you so much for the time you've taken with us today. And before we let you go, we do have one final question that we ask all of our guests, which is if you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic oh, or not, yeah. fictional or yeah. real, who would it be yeah. and why? There's actually a priest friend of mine whom I actually will, re- I, I won't name because he's not the kind of person <laughs> who would want to be talked about in this way. Um, but I just kind of He's about my father's age, and he's been working for a very long time. And he has managed to hit a stride in his life where generosity and love and courage in the face of great adversity seem to be just kind of like his a natural hum for him that fills him with joy. If that's what being a saint means, then I think he is a saint. So mm. maybe he'll be canonized someday, but if he's not that guy, I wish I could give his name, but I don't want to get into because uh, actually there's some people who, if they heard his name, they would very much disagree with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think Saint that yeah. Saint Father that guy works. Yeah. <laughs> Saint Father that guy prayed to God for us. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and uh, I hope the Holy Spirit stays with you for the rest of the semester. And with your spirit as well. (laughs) Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, guys.
All right, now it's time for Parish Announcements, the part of our show where we ask you to please be seated before the final blessing. I want to start out this week by thanking our new Patreon supporter. Uh, so Carson Ben, thank you so much for signing up to join. Uh, and also wanted to congratulate the winners of Father James Martin's signed copy of Come Forth, his new book about the raising of Lazarus. So uh, winners were, we did the drawing this week, uh, Sarah Schneider. Lori McClelland, and Matthew Mattis. So um, congratulations. A couple of them just signed up, you know, in the last few months to be a Patreon supporter, already reaping the benefits. So if you would like to join them in supporting the show and getting access to all of our bonus episodes, these drawings that we do from time to time, you can head over to patreon.com slash americamedia. Yes, and as Zach teased at the top, Jesuitical has an Instagram account. Yes, people say the Catholic Church is uh, sometimes behind the times, uh, and that is certainly the case with us getting in Instagram. Uh, you finally said it's it's time. I, to I do think it. it's time. You know, we're going to the synod. We're gonna, you know, we want to bring the synod to the people, and part of that is bringing images and videos from our time on the ground. So it, it was time to break down. We have this great new logo, so that was also a push, and I'm I'm excited to yeah, get the I thing am, going. I'm hoping to be a little better about posting. I'm one of those like husbands that just reposts their wife's stuff all the time. I also just repost your wife's stuff. All yeah, the time. I'm not very good about posting my own original content. So I promise to be better with the Jesuitical Instagram. So uh, if you're on Instagram, please head over there and follow us at Jesuitical Show. Um, we'll be posting uh, photos from Rome, also teasing some of the episodes. You'll be able to see some of the people that we're talking to. Uh, so please head over to at Jesuitical Show on Instagram and give us a follow. And now we have As One Friend Speaks to Another, the part of our show where we talk about where we're finding God in our lives this week. And uh, Zach, as you mentioned at the top of the show, it is my Jesus year. Special birthday edition. <laughs> Day sharing. So yes. So of course, a lot of jokes about, um, you know, what could pot potentially happen in my 33rd year. <laughs> yes, Jesus did die at 33, but he also rose. That's true. Yes. <laughs> and so kind of inspired by that and and our conversation with, uh, with Father James Martin about Lazarus and this idea of, you know, looking at what we need to leave behind in the tomb um, and, and when we resurrect to new life. Jesus died at 33, also resurrected. So I'm hoping to uh, do both of do those both. metaphorically. Good, good. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, metaphors, metaphorically would be really good. Yeah. So I was thinking about about that. Like, what do I need to leave behind in this year? And to be honest, one thing that's been causing me a bit of angst recently is, is going to the synod. Um, when you first told me like, hey, we, we might be going to Rome for the entire month of October, my first reaction was not like, oh, that's awesome. It was like, oh, an entire month in a new city away from my apartment where I am very comfortable and I have my routines and I, I go to the grocery store and I, I go on a run and then I cook my dinner and I'm, I'm very content on my, my little habitual life that I've, that I've built here. Um, so the idea of getting uprooted and no offense living with you and sebastian for a month <laughs> it's it's fine i'm sitting right here but i will pass over that it might kill me that that might be what does me in <laughs> true penance yeah that's that yeah well hopefully you can rise after yeah, you've yeah. been dead for living with me for a month no so so i have been grappling with that and and i you know there's nothing wrong with wanting to live alone but when it gets to the point where that attachment to that is so strong that I'm closing myself off to new experiences and new relationships. Um, I think that might be something that I need to I need to leave in the tomb um, and, and open myself up to to new things. <laughs> I will remind you of this when I you're yelling at me for leaving my dishes soak uh -huh. in in the sink and, and taking hour long showers. Yeah, yeah. I'll just be like, Ashley, <laughs> you have to die to your old routines. 
this is this is part of it. <laughs> this is your new um, life. <laughs> no, but I, you know, that's oftentimes I have the opposite problem. I I need to uh, maybe habituate and order my life a little bit more. I kind of live by the seat of my pants a little bit. So the the thought that like too much order is like maybe keeping you back from new experiences. I don't know. It gives me a lot to lot to think about and consider about like what what are the things that I think are maybe. You know, they are inherently good things, right? There's nothing wrong with having, you know, routines and habits and things like that. Um, what are the things that are also good in my life that I maybe just like cling to a little too tightly when presented with new opportunities? Yeah, well, we will have a chore wheel at the Airbnb in Rome, so I'll go. Good, good deal. <laughs> Look forward to it. All right, I will get us out of here. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes with production assistance from Michael O'Brien and Kevin Christopher Robles, who is also our sound engineer. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, leave us a review. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Lowshirt Studio at America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week from Rome. <laughs>